What's up, everybody? This is Cortland from IndieHackers.com, and you're listening to the Indie Hackers Podcast. On this show, I talk to the founders of profitable internet businesses, and I try to get a sense of what it's like to be in their shoes. How do they get to where they are today? How do they make decisions, both at their companies and in their personal lives, and what exactly makes their businesses tick? And the goal here, as always, is so that the rest of us can learn from their examples and go on to build our own profitable internet businesses. Today, I am talking to Nathan Rossidi, the founder of Stratascratch. Nathan, how's it going? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing excellent. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about Stratascratch. What is it exactly? And why did you start it? So Stratascratch is a platform to help you improve your analytical skills by building a strong technical foundation for your career. So what I mean by that is it, it really just helps you prep for your technical interviews. It's aimed for uh, data scientists, uh, marketing scientists, anybody getting um, started in analytics in general. Mm-hmm. That's essentially what the platform does. It helps you prepare for your SQL and Python um, technical interviews. Um, and so I, I got started mainly because um, I'm an adjunct professor uh, at, a, at a local university in SF. And you know, I teach a lot of non-technical uh, students. And I wanted a platform to help them just kind of get better. Uh, ramp up faster and also try out uh, real questions out there in the world. There are no other platforms that really allowed that to happen. And so being somewhat technical and also having a career in uh, analytics and data science, uh, I thought I would just create one to see uh, if people would be interested, but also really to create one to help me run my class a lot more efficiently. Uh, what I really wanted to do was just save time, myself time, and then save the students uh, student some headache. That's pretty cool when you can combine two things that you're working on, in this case, being a teacher or a professor, and also being an indie hacker and creating a product that you can charge money for and help your students find jobs. It's It's cool to have that overlap. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like... When I think about it, it was really a platform to help me save time. It, it was like solving my problem, uh, because in a lot of uh, a lot of classrooms these days, you have to set up the the technology yourself. You have to set up your own uh, SQL server and then set up your own um, data sets and import that in. And a lot of students don't know how to do that. And so I really hated to be the IT guy to help like debug and troubleshoot all of their stuff. So um, I really just developed this in the beginning to save myself some time. Uh, but then when I was thinking about it um, and, and when, you know, I, I launched the first version and had a few months to kind of iterate and think about what this platform actually is, I thought about my own journey while, while uh, getting started in my career interviewing at several places, trying to uh, become a data scientist, trying to get into analytics in general, um, I wanted a platform where um, I would be able to find real questions that the big tech companies give, uh, find real world uh, problems that uh, you would find in industry, and then practice on them so I can get better at that. And hopefully, you know, that would help me at a, in an interview, but also help me in my career, in my day-to-day life. And that was really uh, what my vision was towards um, towards the beginning months of launching Stratascratch. So you posted on your Andy Hackers page for Stratascratch recently that you reached 2,500 registered users, and you're at $1,500 a month 
and recurring revenue. How long did it take you to get to this point? Um, so I've hit this revenue probably earlier this year. So like 2000, early 2019. Uh, it took me two years to, to get to this. So I launched in 2017. And by 2019, I felt that I finally understood my audience a little bit better. I made a few pivots along the way, but by 2019, I kind of knew where I was. Uh, so it took about two years of iterations, two years of experimentations, and I'm still doing both of those even, even now. It's crazy how much patience you need to be a founder, to be an indie hacker. I think before you get started, it's really easy to think, you know, I've got the right idea. I know exactly what I'm doing, and I'm going to be making X amount of dollars in like six months. Uh, and then you get started, and you learn all these different things along the way. You learn more about your users and your customers and what features you need and what features you don't and how to find them. And it, uh, it takes a while. It takes years to get to thousands of dollars in revenue sometimes. How have you been able to be so patient? Because I think a lot of people will quit before they yeah. put in two years into anything. <clears throat> yeah. So, I mean, one, this is not my full-time job. I mean, um, I, this is sort of a side project that I have. I have a full-time job and then I'm also an adjunct professor. So I teach one to two classes in the evening after I work. And then on the weekends or like late at night, I'll work on this uh, side, side project. Um, it's sort of just like a passion uh, project that I have that I spend maybe five to 10 hours a week doing. I have, I have a team um, that also helps me, but they only spend about five to 10 hours a week as well on, on this. So it's kind of a blessing and a curse to be able to move slowly because I don't have to rush into things. I think like when you, when it's a full-time job and you really mm. need the money or you're taking VC investment money and you really need to prove your worth to the next milestone, um, there's a lot of pressure on you and you might not necessarily uh, prioritize things in the right way. So it's kind of nice to be able to take a step back, know you're not under a lot of pressure have the time to reach out to your customers, reach out to your users, run a few experiments and prioritize things in the right way so that you slowly scale up. And so for me, patience is key because as long as I see things trending in the right way, as long as I'm able to get honest feedback from my users, that allows me to figure out what I need to build or what I need to write and market so that they get exactly what they want. And so that's, that's kind of how I've been sticking to it. It's uh, kind of a, a blessing in disguise. I want to talk about a lot of these challenges that early stage founders and indie hackers run into because you've been able to surmount them. And I'm sure there's a lot that you're still struggling with. And I think probably the very first one is just getting started. For a lot of people, it's scary to start something. It seems like a big risk. It seems like a huge time investment, or maybe they're not confident that they have the skills is this the very first sort of profitable project that you've started? And what kind of gets you over the hump in order to start something like yeah, that? Yeah, no. So, no, it's not the first project that I've started. I had a startup um, that kind of went through the gamut, uh, you know, like taking in investor money and all of that. It was a full-time gig of mine uh, a few years ago. And I learned a lot from that. And, and I learned a lot from my failures, both in Strata Scratch, but also from my past companies to kind of like get over the hump of just starting, it's really just about starting. And so I, I failed at that my first time around uh, in that I was planning to perfection and never really um, 
building out anything that the customer would want. So I never really um, interacted with the customers because I thought, you know, I, I knew what they wanted. And then I was trying to make everything perfect uh, to give them the best experience. And so we were never really a- were able to launch until much, much later. And that's kind of like when you start, when the pressure starts to come, right? And yeah. so this time around, it was really just about, about starting. It was about two things. It was about uh, reaching my users and customers to see what they want and whether or not I'm getting a signal out in the market. And then two, building something that they can just test, something really, really, like, really shitty that they can <laughs> test. Like the most MVP thing that you could, you could find. Um, and that's what I, what I did. I just cobbled together like a backend a really bad front end and connected them together and just tested out the content to see if this is exactly what they wanted to, what, what they want. Um, and then we started to iterate after that. So who's we, is it, is it you by yourself or are you, have you been working with other people from the beginning? Oh yeah. So it's me by myself. Uh, and I have a developer also, and, uh, he's, he's working on this, uh, like 10 hours a week as well that I kind of talk to about just like feature development and prioritization. And we just kind of kick it back and forth for, for the most part. And he's been with me for several, several years also uh, with my previous startup. So we have a really good, uh, we have really good chemistry in terms of uh, just getting things off the ground. What would you say to somebody who is uh, maybe early on and they don't have the skills to develop a product and they need to find a developer to work with that they have chemistry with. How do you uh, go from not knowing anyone to, to meeting somebody like that? I think it takes, it takes a long, a long time. It takes a lot of iteration. It could take, it could take you, um, you know, meeting several people before even, even finding the right one. Uh, so I, I did two things. I went on upwork.com, which is kind of like a website to find freelancers and I went to meetup.com, which is um, a platform that allows you to search for like uh, physical meetups to go to yeah. to meet like-minded people. Uh, so it's really big here in the, the Bay Area. But I found, uh, I found the people that way for the most part. And some of them stuck with me. Some of them you know, didn't. And just throughout the years, you kind of just meet the right people that kind of vibe with your personality, uh, have the same goals you have, and just have the same working style that you have. Um, and it just sticks at the end of the day. How long did it take you to take strata scratch from, you know, basically just an idea, uh, an inkling that, Hey, this might work into this sort of minimum viable product that you were talking about. That was just the bare bones, shittiest yeah. thing you could release and get in users hands. Uh, yeah, that, that was fast. That took me a month. Uh, so I, I built the back end. It was, it was like a database where, so we started out with, uh, with an idea that it's going to be just SQL. We're not going to add Python modules to it or Python education modules, just SQL modules. And so I, I have a lot of, um, just technical skills with like the, the back end, developing the back end and all that. Mm-hmm. So I built that and then I got a, basically, um, a free IDE or, like open source technology to slap on a front end. And that's what my developer did. So it was probably like 10 hours of work on my side, 10 hour work on, on his side. And then I seeded it with uh, as many questions as I, as I can. And that came from my, uh, you know, my professorship um, at the, at the university. Uh, so everything was kind of there and it only took me like less than a month to get it launched out. And I launched it to uh 
on the web as well as to my students uh, for free just to get get people's you know feedback and, and experience. What did you learn when you got this in people's hands? I learned that they seemed to like it, that they were using it for the most part, but I had no idea like whether or not they would even pay for something like this, whether or not they found it really useful versus the competition. So it was free um, at first. Yeah, it was free at first. Exactly. And, and then um, and then I kept it free for my students and I, I kind of slapped on a um, like a payment portal for the, the public to use because I really wanted to... Like it's great to have a freemium product, but will somebody actually pay for it? So right. for for me, like the question is, do you find this valuable? If you say yes, then I would expect you to actually uh, pay for it. That's what I think uh, when I think of uh, valuable. I think of mm-hmm. somebody actually willing is willing to pay for a product. What did your business model look like in the early days? Because it's it's sometimes uh, tough to figure out what you're going to charge and how much you're going to charge when so far you've just been giving things away for free. Yeah, yeah. So we launched the freemium tier because uh, what I what I think about is uh, when setting this up, or this business model is I think about the entire funnel. I think about how to get uh, users onto my website. How do I get users to use my product? Right. Um, and that's kind of like the two-step uh, funnel that I had in the very beginning, but I needed more of a journey, right? And so I wanted them to be able to get on my website, find some value there, sign up for a, a freemium account just to test the product out, mm-hmm. get it using, and activate the user, quote unquote. And then after that, I wanted them to, if they found it valuable, see if they would pay for it. So then that journey. Uh, became my business model. Did you ever consider having a journey where you just skipped most of those steps? Where they show up on your website, they read it, and then they have to pay immediately before they use anything? That was that was uh, one of my first versions, and nobody paid for it. I literally <laughs> it got work. zero signups for several months. And then uh, I, I was just talking to a friend about it, about this trouble, uh, this mm. problem that I'm having. And he was like, yeah, man, it's a really simple problem. Just Nobody trusts you. You're a small company. Nobody even knows your brand. Why would anybody pay for it uh, without using it first? Yeah. Right? And so I I don't know why I didn't think of that. But as soon as he said it, I I just started uh, to develop this like freemium uh, version of my platform. And then as soon as I launched that, I just I got signups immediately. You know, that's an interesting story because... Really, that's advice that came from your friend. It came from somebody who wasn't you know, actively working on the product with you, and yet they kind of served as an advisor for you and opened your eyes to a potential blind spot. And every founder has blind spots. All of us are doing things that either don't make sense or it could be done better, or someone else out in the world knows the answer, but we don't. And I think a lot of early-stage founders struggle with this because there's just so many places to learn. There's so many books you can read, so many Twitter accounts that are tweeting startup advice. How have you learned kind of what to do and what decisions to make as a founder yourself? I go on Twitter. I go on Indie Hackers. Uh, I go on several blogs just to read everything that people have done, have tried, have experimented with. I rely on a lot of my friends that kind of have side hustles, uh, startups of their own to just talk to them about it. Um, and we meet very regularly too because we're all re- really passionate about 
about just like creating products for people to use, giving somebody something valuable, right? And so yeah. between my my friends, you know, slash advisors, between all the blogs and websites and podcasts I read and listen to, I didn't start to just kind of curate things. I take a ton of notes. My Trello is just filled with it. Um, and then I just start to... After I read things, after I curate through it, I sit on it. So I never am too impulsive about it. I sit on it and I think about it. And then when I'm ready, I promote it to, you know, developing a fe- a new feature or writing some like content to, to my users or something like that. But yeah, that's kind of how I, as a single founder, really, that's kind of how you're able to get feedback from other people. You know, that's such a uh, mature and measured approach because I'm very susceptible to recency bias. If I hear a piece of advice or I get an idea and it's fresh in my mind, it just dominates my thoughts and I can't stop thinking about it. And all the old stuff that I've thought about just kind of goes out the window. And I find myself having to be deliberate um, and making sure I don't just act on the latest idea that I have because that's usually not the best idea. And I think sitting on it really helps the way that you do it. Exactly. Um, and I, I found that out the hard way. I mean, like I used to do exactly what you said, like that's yeah. a great idea. And then immediately email uh, my engineers to start <laughs> developing this. And then, you know, after that, two weeks go by, they're still developing it. And you kind of, uh, after you're sitting on it, you kind of start to realize it's not a great idea. Or yeah, maybe it, put more thought into it. Exactly. Or maybe it is a good idea, but it's not the number one priority. So, so, you know, I've had a lot of experiences where that's really just turned sour. And so now I, I, I have this more measured approach. A lot of the challenges with doing pretty much anything in modern life, including being a founder, are just problems of abundance, where there's too much. It's not like there's not enough information. It's not like we don't have enough feature ideas. But there's just so much out there that it's hard to prioritize. It's hard to say, what should I work on first? Or even just focusing as a founder. It's really counterintuitive because... Very often you feel like, I'm not doing enough. I hear all this advice, I should be doing X, I should be doing Y, I'm not doing this right, this part of my funnel is broken, this part of my website's not great, like I'm not doing enough. But if you try to do everything, then you're just going to pull yourself in so many directions that you don't do anything well. And so it's kind of the case that in order to be, to be operating well as a founder, you should always have this feeling like you're not doing enough. That lets you know that you're focusing. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and it's it's really hard to prioritize, especially when you get feedback from so many different people with different viewpoints. Um, I, the way, I mean, I guess the way I kind of prioritize is I just listen to my users. I try to, I email every single one uh, asking them like why they like my platform, what features would they like to see. Um, if you're on the freemium tier, what would get you uh, on the premium tier? And I get a lot of feedback back and I actually prioritize uh, feature requests and building out my platform based off of what people are saying. I don't, I don't necessarily go off of what's in my head anymore. I just go off of what people want. So I'm building something for people to use. And so in order for them to use it, they need to find some value. So that's more or less how I've been prioritizing things. So... At some point, you figured out that you needed to educate your users and give them a chance to basically use Stratascratch before they would pay. Uh, you switched that on, and you finally got people beginning to pay you. Uh, what was the next step in growing your business? Yeah, the next step is sort of what I'm still struggling with right now, and it's 
how do I reach more people? I am not at all good at sales and marketing. I have no idea what to do. I don't understand SEO. I don't Mm -hmm. (laughs) understand really like content marketing and like how that leads to just an improvement in SEO or an improvement in ranking or whatever it is. I just don't get it. um, Even though I've been trying to do it for two years plus. And so what what I've actually been doing is just forgetting all of that. And the way I've kind of done my marketing is I, I write articles that I feel that my users would find valuable. So my platform itself has this thesis of improving or getting started in your analytical career. So whether you're a student, a young professional, old professional, or trying to change careers, I want you to use my product or my platform so that you become better technically and that you become better in your analytical career. So I want to also write articles uh, to kind of guide you through that journey from becoming a novice to becoming an intermediate to becoming an advanced um, you know, analytical person. I've struggled through that my entire career as well, like really not knowing um, what to do and how to start. And I didn't really have anybody else to talk to during that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of the articles that I write, is it's just coming from my personal experiences, questions that I've had, I, things that I've struggled with. So that has been sort of my marketing play now, just kind of writing things that I find that people might find valuable and then kind of throwing it out on like the medium blogs. Uh, there's a, there's a data science publication there that I write for, uh, that I contribute to that gets that a lot of people like will read. Uh, so that's helped a lot. You know, I look at business sometimes as really having four different parts. There's the product that you're building, there's the market that you're selling to, in this case, you know, aspiring data scientists. And there's your business model, which you've settled on. And then there's the channels that you use to reach these people. And I think that can oftentimes be one of the most challenging things to figure out because those channels can be super competitive, super crowded. Uh, it can be really hard to break through. And I often hear stories from founders where they have to try channel after channel after channel before they finally figure out what's working. And in your particular case, that's that's content, that's writing, that's blogging. How's that going so far? Yeah, it's it's going really well. Uh, but from what you said, that's exactly, that was my experience. That is my experience. Um, I read this book uh, called Traction. I forget who the author was. It's a pretty- Justin Mayers. He's been yeah. on the Andy Hackers podcast. Okay, there you go. Uh, great book. It really helped me think about uh, how, how many uh, marketing channels there actually are, how to think about them. Uh, but the piece of, of advice I got was, you're really only going to leverage one to two marketing channels that's going to work for your uh, platform, for your business. Also, you're probably not going to really find value in channels that are already saturated uh, because everyone's doing it. So find something really creative, something that nobody or not too many people are really leveraging and, and try that out. And especially if you're kind of doing this as a side hustle, you don't have a lot of time, you can't be really doing a ton of experiments and leveraging all of the marketing channels, you really have to be deliberate with them. So I started with, you know, email, direct email marketing. That was terrible. It started, uh, changed to like Google ads. I was getting an okay ROI, but not really great. I was doing so many different things, but then when I just like took a step back and I looked at what was working, I found one 
the two things that were, that was working well, and I just stuck with it. It was really just content marketing, blog writing, article writing for the most part. One of the things I like the most about content marketing is that you really get a lot of instances where you can try something. Every new post that you write is a new attempt, and you can use different language in it, and you can talk about a different topic, and you get a lot of feedback. People will upvote your post on Medium, or they won't. People will read your blog post and share it, or they won't. And so you're constantly learning. Whereas with a lot of other channels and things you can do to try to grow, it's hard to get that feedback. You might work on something for six months before you really realize the results. Whereas a blog post, you can write in an afternoon and publish it and see, like, is this something that I should keep publishing on this topic? Or is it something that I should you know, change? Because another blog post had better success. Exactly. And you're just kind of iterating through that uh, and seeing what works. I think uh, another cool thing about what you're doing is just teaching in general. It's just one of the best ways to basically get started as an indie hacker because you're, number one, doing something you're knowledgeable and passionate about. And number two, uh, you're doing something that, quite frankly, customers find valuable. Like They can very easily, without you having to tell them, understand the value of understanding and practicing interview questions so that they can get jobs. And it's just a really great way to get started with your business. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, there's not much to add on to that, really. It's uh, keeping it keeping my value prop very simple. Um, you know, this is very similar to my teaching profession as well, right? I do this for fun. I have a full-time gig that it's not at all about teaching. Uh, it's something completely different. But my passion, what I really like is to is to teach, to give some somebody, the younger generation, uh, something valuable that they can uh, find in themselves and improve on. Um, so that's really what drives me. Otherwise, I don't know, like, why would I want to work on the weekends? Why would I want to work late at night if I didn't right. care about this stuff, right? And so, yeah, I mean, that it's really just all about passion and, and, and purpose um, that really has really, that has gone me through a lot of the tough times um, with, with just all ventures in life, not just Stratascratch. What would your advice be for other indie hackers who are listening who are passionate about a particular topic and might want to start a business around helping others learn how to do it well? The, the biggest advice I would say and the first thing I would say is talk to the community, be involved in the community. And so be involved in the, there's probably like a Reddit community out there. There's a meetup group. Uh, there's a ton of forums probably, but just find out where they're, they are if you're not yet a part of that community and just see what they want, what they like, and see if it also matches your own passion, right? See if, it, uh, if what you're thinking, uh, what you're thinking is valuable, they also find valuable. So once you kind of get that signal, you know you have a user base. And on the business side, you know you have a market. And then you can start building something. Um, and so that's, that's my advice in terms of getting started. Just get to the community and be involved uh, and show that you actually care. Nathan, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story with us. Can you let listeners know where they can go to learn more about Stratascratch and what you're up to personally if you share that sort of thing online as well? Yeah, absolutely. So stratascratch.com, uh, that's the website of my platform. And then on Medium, you can actually find me by my name, uh, Nathan Rossidi. And so I, I, all my articles are on my uh, personal Medium blog. Thanks so much, Nathan. Yeah, absolutely. Listeners, if you enjoyed this episode, I would love it if you reached out to Nathan and let him know. He is Nathan Rossidi on Medium.com. 
Also, if you are interested in my thoughts on this episode, subscribe to the Indie Hackers podcast newsletter at indiehackers.com slash podcast. Thanks so much for listening, and I will see you next time. Thank you.